Afternoon, everyone. It's good to be here with you again, teaching with you. And uh, it's interesting, just under about two years ago, on the first Sunday of 2021, I, um, I had the privilege of starting the year off and teaching in front of the church for the first time down in Cornwall Street. And uh, during that time, we were at the height of COVID, lockdowns, and uh, the world seemed to be changing a lot. And I don't know if you all remember, because you all remember every teaching that everybody stands up here and teaches, don't you? Good. So you remember that I was teaching on Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, about trusting in the Lord with all your heart. And the world has changed slightly since then. We're no longer under lockdowns. However, we're still reeling from the effects from that period. And according to most governments and the world we live in at the moment, we're facing a time of economic crisis. This is being a result of COVID lockdowns, the war in Ukraine, rising cost of fuel, electricity and gas. People around us are more worried and afraid than ever before. Rob mentioned that this morning. I, um, I was re recently reading an article in the news and regarding the current crisis. And here are a couple of quotes from people. I've obviously not used their real names just for uh, purposes. But Cheryl, a pensioner from Nottingham, says she's been planning to cut back on food to be able to afford her energy bill which she expects to double this winter. Michael from Scotland faces having to move in with his parents because he expects his energy bills to double this winter from last year. I'm so stressed out, he says. Peter, who runs a pizza shop in Sheffield, fears he may have to declare bankruptcy if he can't keep up. It's a nightmare, he says. Did you notice a theme here that the world seems to be experiencing this time? Fear stress, cutting back on eating, it's a nightmare. And now these are all the things that go against what God teaches us, though, in his word. And this is definitely not trusting in the Lord with all your heart. In fact, most people in the world today don't trust anyone in authority. And things get worse. There doesn't seem to be a solution that they can come up with to solve their problems. But now when Jesus was on the earth, he gave us some practical ways that we can trust in him. And one of my favorite verses of this is in Matthew 6. And that is what I want to share with you today. And we're going to reread him from Matthew 6 from verses 25 to 34. And it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to its stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? 
or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, that we can come together, we can study your word, and I pray, Heavenly Father, that the words I speak will be from you, Holy Spirit, that I'm just your vessel, and the words I speak will be edifying, uplifting to the church, to the body of Christ, that, it'll, that your word will be there for exhortation, maybe even for rebuking, for teaching, for whatever purpose it is needed in everybody's life, Lord. But I thank you that your word is truth and your word is alive and that you will just use this word to shape every one of our hearts wherever we need it at this time. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... When we look at the context of these verses that I've just read, it pretty much starts at the beginning of chapter 5, okay? So chapter 5 of Matthew, this is where Jesus is given his Sermon on the Mount, and it goes all the way through to chapter 7. So you've got this Sermon on the Mount starting on chapter 5, and he talks about many things to the people there. Um, we know he starts off in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes, and then he talks about how he's fulfilled the law. He talks about the evil of man's heart, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6. And then on to chapter 7, he goes on about how we shouldn't be judging people or what judging is about. And these are just a few of the things that he preached. But here in chapter 6, in verse 25, it starts with the word, therefore. Okay? It says, therefore, I say to you. And wherever there's a therefore, we need to look at what that therefore is from. Okay? And so we look at the context and you could all go all the way back to chapter 5 and look at the whole context, but I believe the context that Jesus is focusing on here starts in verse 19 to 24. And it reads, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, as you can see from these verses, Jesus is talking about treasures here on earth and how they get destroyed so easily here on earth. How the lamp of the body is the eye. And I think that Jesus is saying here, it's our outward perception that leads to our inward darkness or eternal light. Depends. He then goes on to talk about money and how we cannot serve two masters as you will always love more, one more than the other. And you'll hate the other. We know this from 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, which says, For the love of money is a root of all e kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and perceived themselves through many sorrows. So money is evil. No, no, that's not what I'm trying to say here. Okay, it says 
the love of money is a root of evil. So there's lots of roots of evil, but the love of money is a root of evil. And this clearly shows that we cannot have two masters when it comes to these things. So if you are in love with money, there is no way that you can love Jesus because they go against each other, okay? Because the love of money is a root of evil. If you have money and you enjoy it and you use it for God's purposes, that is great, okay? But Jesus tells us in verse 25, not to worry about our lives, what we will eat or drink, what we will wear, because is life not more than these things? Now, Jesus starts here by telling us not to worry about the physical aspects of our being. But then and he asks the question, is not life more important than these physical needs? Now, the word life in the Greek is suke, which means breath of life or the spirit that lives within us. So he is telling us that the eternal aspect, our spirit, our souls, is more important than these physical things that we look to on earth. But let us focus first on the things that we see and that we live by here in our human bodies. What is Jesus telling us, though? Well, he's telling us for those who are saved, who love God, who can call God Abba Father, that we need to recognize three things. First, should we really worry if God is our father? How greater is our heavenly father than the earthly father or anyone else who we might claim to care for us on this earth? Look at what Matthew 7, 9, 11 says. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus then goes on to show that as the creator of all things, he always looks after his creatures. We see many examples of this throughout the Bible, such as Job 38.41, which says, Who provides food for the raven when its young ones cry to God? and wander about for lack of food? Or what about Psalm 147 verse 9, which says, He gives to the beast to its food, and to the young ravens that cry. You see, God feeds all his animals on this earth. He looks after his creatures. But how much more, though, does God love us? Jesus says, we are, are we not more value than they are, as we've been created in the image of God? One side note here, though, God does not feed birds who do not reap or sow in a sense of they just sit there like kings in their nest and God goes, here you go, have some worms, here you go, have some of this. That doesn't happen. And in the same sense, God, when he provides for us, we too have to work for our food. You know, this is all we, we see this in Second Thessalonians 3.10. It says, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work neither shall he eat. That was Paul speaking there. And we also go back all the way to Genesis and the Lord said that we would have to work for the bread that we eat, okay? But he provides for us, but he allows us to work for that food. Looking at verse 27 then, we see Jesus ask the question, which of you worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now, a cubit is about 18 inches long and stature means height. 
Now, as we know, once we hit a certain age, probably about 18, no matter what we do, none of us can add any measurement whatsoever to our height. Now, some of us might wish we could in here. Don't know. But as other, other translations put this verse, I think this Amplified really does it well. It says, who of you, by worrying, can add one hour to the length of his life? And I think that's what the, Jesus is trying to get at here. He's trying to say to us that worrying has no good purpose at all. In fact, it is the opposite. Charles Mayo, who is the co-founder of the Mayo Clinic in America, made the observation that worry adversely affects the circulatory system, the heart, glands, and the entire nervous system. In the medical journal American Mercury, Mayo said he never knew anyone who died of overwork, but he knew many who died of worry. You can worry yourself to death, but you will never worry yourself into a longer life. Now, we know that we live in a world that tries everything it can do to prolong life here on earth. How many people are always looking to improve their quality of life? Now, I think there is a case for looking after ourselves, as, even as Christians. It is good for us to try and live healthier lives. It is good for our mind and our body, especially in service to our Heavenly Father. But yet, the days of our life have already been determined by God. And there's nothing that we can do to prolong that day. As Job 14 verse 5 proclaims on this, it says, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Basically, Job was saying that God had already determined every day of man's death or how long he was going to live. Looking still though, at this first point of God being our father, Jesus continues to ask the question, why should we worry about clothing? He then goes on to give the example again of his creation with the lilies of the field. Now here Jesus was referring to the most of the flowers on the hillside of Galilee. And they included many different types of flowers, tulips, poppies, daisies, to name a few. And they all fell under the general term of lilies, different colors, different beauty. And even today, you can go to this area and in the springtime see the beautiful variety of flowers here in the Valley of Galilee. Interestingly, though, we see Jesus, he doesn't just tell us to look at the flowers, but he uses the word consider, which in the Greek is, this is a big one, kat am anthanon, okay? Which means to learn thoroughly, examine carefully, which if we study flowers closely and look at all the designs in the leaves and the petals and the intricacies of these beautiful flowers, we will see that if we had to compare them with the finest garments that Solomon ever wore, his clothing would look like rags. Now, if God creates such wonderful things in nature, and yet today it is here and tomorrow it could be gone, thrown into a fire, destroyed by man in some way, how much more, though, will our Heavenly Father clothe us as his children? We live in a society that focuses so much on what we wear. If you go down to St. David's shopping center today, you could be overwhelmed by the choice of fashions. Much of it, though, is used by the world and the enemy to exploit children and even uses a tool to break down God's design for gender today. 
Peter, though, gave instruction to women in 1 Peter 3, verse 3 to 4. And he says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And I think here this verse is referring to us all. You know, I, I know I understand it's directed at women, but we all have to look at the inside more than the outside. You know, we focus a lot on what we look at, like on the outside. Think of John the Baptist. He wore great clothing made of camel's hair and a belt and some sandals. Yet Matthew 11, verse 11, we read Jesus say this of John the Baptist. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Is anyone here willing enough to give up their Levi's or Nike's for some camel hair clothing? The last part of verse 30 leads us, though, on to our second point. Worry is not a character of faith for those who believe. Jesus says, O you of little faith, referring to those who worry of such things. He goes on then to tell us in verse 31 and verse 32, not to worry about what we shall eat or drink or what we shall wear, for after these things the Gentiles seek. As we've already discussed how the Western world we live in constantly chases after things of the flesh. We are constantly bombarded by adverts for nothing more than food, drinks, clothes, and other things to entertain us. Entertain us, And yet, as I quoted in the beginning, and as we constantly see in the news, people are always worried about how the, they attain these things. You know, the world just says, look at all this stuff you can have, and the world's constantly like, but I don't know how to get it. I can't. I can't pay bills. I can't eat. And, you know, you look at the main headlines in the news, a cost of living crisis. And you can see the irrationality, though, behind those thoughts. Because, yes, I know that we live in a country where I've looked it up. Approximately 4,000 people in the UK live on the streets. Now, I, I don't think that's in any way a good thing. I don't endorse that in any way. But what you have to understand is that 99.9% .9 of our population are fed clothed and have a roof over their head of some sort and those who have god as their heavenly father are assured here in verse 32 that he knows that we need these things you know now the reason i make the point that worry is not a character of faith for believers when you think about what we do believe how many here believe that through the death and resurrection of jesus we've been granted eternal life and complete forgiveness of our sins. What an amazing gift of grace we've been given. But yet, as John MacArthur puts it, Christians who worry believe God can redeem them, break the shackles of Satan, take them from hell to heaven, put them into his kingdom and give them eternal life. But they just don't think he can get them through the next couple of days. This is pretty ridiculous when you think about it. We can believe God for the greater gift and then stumble and not believe him for the lesser one. Very sobering to think upon. We can also see that believers who worry do not trust in God or believe his word and his promises. This goes against trusting in the Lord with all your heart. 
Jesus is trying to make the point that our eternal life and salvation is so much more important than the things here on this earth. Paul prayed a similar thing for believers in Ephesians 1 verse 18 to 19, where he said, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? You see, there's where the real richness lies. Now, as humans, we're all going to probably experience times when we mo- we're going to worry about something. And this, is the Je- and this is the reason that Jesus wrote these words to us. It's to encourage us not to worry, to give us that truth, to, but to trust in the Lord. But as we know, if we do fail, I don't want anybody here today to feel condemned by it, because if we fail, we have forgiveness through our Lord Jesus. 1 John 1 verse 8, 9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The third point I want to notice here, which is in verse 34, is that worry does not give us any confidence for our future. We see Jesus telling us here that not to worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about its own things, and today has enough trouble of its own. Now, I don't believe it's wrong to plan for tomorrow or further ahead. And this wisdom in seeking God in our future and planning these things but to worry about them, that is where sin occurs. You see, Hebrews 13 verse 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he is the God of tomorrow and in control of everything in our lives. And he doesn't change. His promises remain true. When we look at what Lamentation says in chapter 3 verse 23 to, sorry, 22 to 23, it says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, the Lord gives us new mercies every day. Just enough for what we need today. Jesus was saying here, today has enough troubles of its own. And I have given you compassion for today. Great is my faithfulness for today. He never says, I give you mercies for tomorrow. I give you strength for tomorrow. He never says that. Because when tomorrow comes, it will be today, and his mercies will be new for today. You see, this is it. We just need to focus on this day. And then when we do that, we can gladly proclaim, along with the psalmist in Psalm 118.24, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Yes. J. Adams He's a Christian counselor. He's wrote many great books for those struggling with anxiety. And he added this. Tomorrow always belongs to God. Whenever we try to take hold of it, we try to steal what belongs to him. Sinners want what is not theirs to have and thereby destroy themselves. God has given us only today. He strongly forbids us to become concerned about what might happen. Worriers not only want what has been forbidden, but also fail to use what has been given to them. Very sobering. And if you're feeling convicted, I'm sorry. Well, it's a good thing, actually, for us to be convicted by the Holy Spirit at times, you know. So when you think of those words and you may think, oh, I worry about tomorrow. Well, that's that's okay to 
think that way and you know that's when we come to god and we we seek his forgiveness in those things now let's move on to the solution to worry you want that don't you bob marley wrote a song called three little birds and the chorus of that song is now i promise my girls i won't sing don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. I read through the entire song and nowhere in the song does it actually say about how everything is going to be all right or why everything is going to be all right. It just talks about everything's going to be all right. You know, imagine I came up here and said, Jesus said, don't worry, bye. <laughs> you know, but Jesus here in Matthew tells us in verse 33, that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added to you. So in essence, Jesus is telling us that solution, how not to worry about getting all the physical things we need to survive on this earth, is by seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, how do we practically seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? First, and the most important thing, I think, is to pray. Right? Paul addresses the issue of anxiety and worry in the book of Philippians. Let's turn together to Philippians chapter 4. It's the second sort of um, scripture I want to look at that I think links so well with, with what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. So, yeah, Philippians chapter 4, and I'll and read verse f from verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So here, I think we're going to see, we can see some real practical ways to deal with anxieties and worries of this life that Jesus talks about. First of all, we are to rejoice always. Paul says this twice, actually, to show the emphasis on rejoicing in the Lord. Why? Because we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, and we are to rejoice in that. We are to be gentle or gracious to all mankind. This refers actually to being content or generous towards others. It can also refer to having mercy towards the failures of others. Then we get to the heart of the matter. Be anxious for little. No, that's not what it says. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we are to come to God in prayer with thanksgiving. And when we think about how many things we have to be thankful for, this will help our heart change from anxiety and worry to thankfulness and faith. 
if we are thankful for the many promises that God has given us, and there are many to list throughout the Bible, but I just want to look at a few here and that I think are relevant to anxieties and worries in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that all things, all things, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I think those promises are just key foundations to us to, you know, walk through our life whenever we're in those situations. And when we go beyond just reading those verses and practically believe them in our own lives and are thankful for them in every situation, then we will start to live a life that is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The second thing I think we need to do, which is important, is read the word. You know, this is an important part of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I mean, how else can we know what the kingdom of God is and his righteousness without meditating upon the truth of God's word? In Philippians 4 verse 8, Paul instructs us to think upon things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, and we're supposed to meditate on these things. And what better place to find those things than in the word of God? You won't find them on the TV. You won't find them on the news. You won't find them, you know, out there in the world. But in the word of God, you'll find all those things. When we started the summer in the Psalms, and Kevin started off with Psalm 1. And Kevin spoke of the way of the righteous. And Psalm 1 verse 2 says of the righteous man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So these two things together, praying to our Father and reading, meditating on his word, lead us into a righteous relationship with, with, with God. And they form what we call walking in the Spirit. And some of you know where I'm going here. According to Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I believe that worry and anxiety, which are contrary to trusting, are part of the flesh and sin. Another important part of reading and meditating upon the scriptures is that we learn how God has transformed the lives of real people just like us. Look at the life of Peter, a sinful man who was called to be an apostle of Christ. But when we read of him, we see that Peter was a worrier. He worried about drowning when he took his eyes off Jesus. He worried how man would react to him when being questioned if he knew Jesus. And yet, through the forgiveness and grace of God, he ended up being filled with the Holy Spirit, becoming an apostle, and living a life of faith even to the point of death. And I think this leads us on to the next point of what Paul is saying in Philippians 4 verse 9. He says we are to do these things. We are to live a life of faith. And this involves doing things practically. We know that there are no works involved in our saving faith. That it is Jesus alone who has done all the work that is needed for salvation. We cannot do anything. 
that is a, a working f- that is the a, a, the saving uh, grace of salvation nothing ever that we can do can lead us to eternal life everything that jesus did on the cross leads to that but when it comes then to us living out our lives as faith as a believer i think that involves us doing something james says in james 2 verse 17 thus also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead now one of my favorite missionaries of all times is george muller he knew a lot about faith and he lived by it so just a brief sort of overview he he spent time in jail where he came to know jesus and when he came out he he studied and he he actually wanted to come to um the uk to teach the jewish people in the uk and that was what he planned to do with his missionary work but he he arrived in bristol in 1832 and him and his wife were horrified to see the masses of orphans on the street living in squalor and dying of hunger they were going through a crisis of cost of living crisis that was you know people were actually dying on the streets of hunger at that time kids and him and his wife though believed in what the word of god said so he set out to feed and clothe these orphans and at the end of the muller's lifetime they had open orphanages to care for more than ten thousand orphans unlike many today who proclaim to live by faith the mullers never told anyone except god of what they need any funds or anything they only went before god and god always abundantly provided what they needed because of his thankful prayers and humbly waiting upon the lord and george muller said this where faith begins anxiety ends where anxiety begins faith ends you see when we look at the examples from our past like george muller or if we look to hebrews 11 and the hall of faith We can see how those who trusted in God were counted as faithful men, faithful people, faithful women, even though they were sinners. Even though you can look back in their lives and look at all the things they did wrong, yet God said, these were men of faith. And, you know, for those who trust in the Lord, we too are people of faith. And if you look at Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2, and it was even the verse today, and I I really think that sums up what it is to live by faith. And it says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a greater cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, Hebrews 12 is full of so much more than these two verses on what faith is and what it is to live by faith. But I thought I'd leave that to Pastor Kevin to do when he gets there. Two, three years. (laughs) But just from these two verses alone, I think we can see how much more there is to a life of faith, a life that is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness than just thinking about our finances or clothes or food. Now, Finally, we see that as we live our lives, not for the material things of this earth, but for Christ and to do the things that Paul instructs us in Philippians, we see that the God of peace is with us. And that peace surpasses all understanding and it guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. A peace that surpasses our understanding of how will I be affected by the rising prices of electric and gas 
or how will I be able to afford to eat or pay my bills or put on my heating? To close with, the men have been doing a study of First and Second Thessalonians over the last millennium. <laughs> okay, a year or two. <laughs> and <laughs> in closing, in, in First Thessalonians, Paul exhorts the church with the following in chapters 5, verse 14 and 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. So here we are seeing Paul exhort us to help those in the church and people in the church who might be struggling with things. And I think this is the best way sometimes to deal with our own anxieties or, or worries or fears. And that is to serve others, to look at ways to comfort one another, to be patient with all. I know myself how comfort it is to come together with a brother and pray together about things. You know, it's great to come before the Lord and we are instructed to come before God and, you know, pray before him in our closets and bring things. But, you know, it, it, there's so much more to come in with a brother and praying together and just sharing those things in our hearts and in our lives. And, it, and I think it just encourages us. And I love what Peter 4 verse 8 and 9 says. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And in those, in those verses in, in 1 Thessalonians, if we think of the faint-hearted, they might be the ones who have worries in their lives. And what does it say? We're to comfort them, to come alongside them, develop a friendly relationship with them, be patient with all, pursue what is good. And if you're sitting here listening today and you think maybe oh, I have worries or anxieties in my life, first of all, I would say come to Jesus. Cast all your burdens upon him for he cares for you. And then seek someone out in the church. Seek someone to help you who may be stronger in the faith, who's gone through those things. Seek them out to come alongside you that they would love you and support you and all to the glory of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you care for us so much, for your death upon the cross, for your resurrection, for the eternal life that you've given us. And Lord, when we think about this world and the worries and the troubles that we have, let us not think upon these things, but let us seek your righteousness, Lord Jesus. Let us come before you with a thankful heart in all things knowing that your peace will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus in all things. I thank you, Lord, that as we go out in this week, that you will just truly just let us remember these words. Let us not focus on the things of the world. We know the world is around us. We are in it, but we are not of it. And I pray, Heavenly Father, through your Holy Spirit, that you will just strengthen us and guide us to all things. In Jesus' name, amen.